Welcome to another installment of Now Hear This Entertainment. I'm Bruce Wozniak, and wherever you have found the show, thank you for listening. This podcast is widely available, so know that there are lots of options out there to listen and subscribe. The website is nhte.net and has lots from all episodes, plus links to social media and podcast listening platforms. Please spread the word about NHTE. Joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from Melbourne, Australia, my guest is a singer-songwriter who is a classically trained vocalist that was born in India and studied in the United States. She released a new single last month and is releasing an EP this year, plus she released a new music video in July. She has performed at multiple venues in New York City, and her music has gotten airplay on BBC Radio. You've been hearing a song of hers called Because They Told Me To. It's my pleasure to welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, Amrita Shakti. Hey Bruce, it's awesome to connect with you. For sure, likewise. Thanks for making time for this. No worries, my pleasure. Let's start off by having you tell the listeners all about the song of yours that was just playing, especially since I was talking over it and they couldn't hear the lyrics called Because They Told yeah. Me To. Absolutely. So I guess the overarching theme behind Because They Told Me To is essentially um, it's dedicated to how I was feeling in my 20s, which was, I think, for a lot of us, a super tumultuous time where you're kind of figuring out who you are versus who society wants you to be. And especially, I think, being a bicultural kid. So having been born in India and growing up in Australia, I think I had like a bunch of different sort of societal pressures that were placed on me, whether that's associated with like, when are you going to settle down? Or, you know, you don't sort of look like the people in the magazines. It's sort of, it's it's almost like a bit of a protest song where it's sort of um, capturing how I felt in the midst of all of that pressure. Um, And I think the, the main intention behind the song is to sort of say, hey, you know what, we need to stop putting so much pressure, um, especially on young women of color to sort of um, adhere to certain ways of living and sort of give them an opportunity to live on their own terms. So when did you write the song? Um, I would have written it around two and a half years ago, and oh. I only felt like it was the right time to drop it this year. Why is that? I think I, I felt like now I feel like I'm in a position where I've truly overcome a lot of the confusion and the anxiety that that song um, captures. And so I can kind of look back on it and sort of say, you know what, I'm ready to share this with the world because I feel like I've healed within myself and I've gone through the whole process. Um, and this is now a time capsule that sort of captures how I felt back then, but it isn't sort of representative of like who I've become now. So there was a level of detachment that I felt, um, mm. which I think is always somewhat necessary for me, especially when I'm releasing things into the in, into the world. It's sort of like being able to say, you know, that's who I used to be. Um, so I'm okay with how that's being received in the world right now. Interesting. Interesting. And did you write this by yourself or did anyone write it with you? I have an incredible group of jazz musician friends um, back home in Sydney. And so the melody and the lyrics were all mine, but I think I, I like needed their help so much to just sort of get that vibe. And there's sections in the song that um, have like a really strange time signature. Um, and so I wanted that to sort of convey like this sort of really jarring, chaotic mindset that I was in back then. And and it was them who sort of came up with all of that sort of the instrumentation and the musicality of the whole piece. And do you typically collaborate like that or, or was that just the case for this particular song? I honestly feel like collaboration is what makes the music creation process incredible for me. So as long as I know that like my voice is being retained in the sense of what I want to say and the message and the vibe, I think being able to then like turn to like a really trusted musician friend and say, this is the vision I have for this and create that with them. There's just something really beautiful about that. I love it. I love it. That's great. Yeah. You don't get a guest on the show who was born in India, studied in the U.S. and is now calling in all the way from Australia and not maximize your time. So that's why after Amrita and I are done recording this episode of NHTE, 
We're going to have even more conversation over in the exclusive content available only through Patreon. The good news is it's only five bucks to get started. And the even better news is that you'll not only gain access to what Amrita and I record, but similar audio files that are already up there from the last 38 weeks, the last 38 episodes of Now Hear This Entertainment. I don't like to promote this, but yes, you can cancel at any time. So if you just want to go on there to hear what Amrita and I talk about, maybe you want to hear the extra conversation I had two weeks ago with Billy Joel's guitar player, Mike Del Judas, and then you need to drop off. I understand, but remember, this is also helping me and all the costs that I have in putting out a new episode of this show every week for more than six and a half years now. It's no different than supporting the artists who are guests on NHTE. To get in on all this extra audio, and mind you, these aren't five or ten minute files. In a lot of cases, it's half of a regular NHTE episode, as in almost 20 minutes sometimes. Go directly to patreon.com slash NHTE or from the show website NHTE.net. Use the orange colored support us on Patreon button. Amritha, I mentioned in the intro that you also released a new music video in July, which was actually for the song that we heard at the beginning, the song you just talked about, because they told me to. In the Patreon, some of our discussion is going to be about different things from the video that I want to ask you about. But for now, just talk about making that video. And listeners, you definitely want to watch it because there's some real interesting audio at the beginning that's not on the single. But go ahead, Amritha, talk about making the video for Because They Told Me To. Yeah, so I think when I was writing the song, I'd always visualized water and like the feeling of like almost suffocating underwater. Mm. And so I'd sort of experimented with um, like, could I build a fishbowl and like stick my head in it and fill it up with water and film Whoa. that? I had all sorts of really bizarre ideas <laughs> and none of them were really like manifesting. And then last year I was, I was in uh, New York for a friend's wedding um, and I managed to meet um, a young videographer by the name of Rashi Desai, also of um, Indian background. And I was sort of sharing with her the sort of core meaning behind the song, um, especially its focus on sort of marriage pressure and how big an issue that is um, for a lot of South Asian women. And I think it just sort of struck a chord with her. And so one thing led to another and we ended up filming this together um, one super early morning in, I can't even remember the name of the town. I was somewhere in New Jersey um, in this, yeah, in this super just deserted beach. And it was just, it was incredible. I remember we did all sorts of things. We had a GoPro and I was dunking my head into the ocean and coming back up and trying to, trying to hold myself down there. It was, (laughs) it was just, it was, I look back on it so fondly because it was just, one of those um one of those shooting sort of sequences where it's just like it was so difficult in the moment but like you look back on it and then you look at the result and you're like wow that was so worth it Mm, awesome well i'm really really surprised to hear that that was filmed not only in new jersey but in the united states i just assumed that you were going to tell me a location in australia that you did that and isn't that amazing the way that again when you talked about collaboration and, and creators and people coming together and really just kind of leveraging what their specialty is. It's like you said, as long as my voice is captured right, you know, I want the guitar player to do what he does best. I want the drummer to do it. And in this case, it's, you know, I had this vision and I know what the song means, but here is someone that this is someone that this is her specialty. She can make this video come to life for me. Absolutely. I think there's a lot to be said about just sort of the the faith in other people's creativity and sort of knowing how much of a vision is yours and then when to hand that over to another person and just trust in their abilities. And I think the moment you do that, it's just, it's magical. Like I could never have predicted that that music video would, you know, manifest the way that it did. Um, but it's all kudos to just being able to say, you know what, I trust you, I trust your abilities. And it was absolutely incredible. So I have to really be delicate here because I don't want people to not go and watch the video. So I don't want to give away sure. what I'm referring to. but. I mentioned that there's some real interesting audio at the beginning that's not on the single. Since you know what I'm talking about, just tell me whose idea yeah. that was, yours or hers. Um, it was mine, but I think in terms of how we wanted to visualize it, it was all hers. Um, I knew I wanted to start off by sort of capturing sort of, again, that vibe and that mood and that mindset that I was in back then. Um, but I didn't know how to convey it visually. So it was mm. it was really a joint effort. 
on, nice. on that side. Nice. Well, I've been blessed to get listeners from 153 countries around the world, so a lot of them will be just getting introduced to you now for the first time, Amritha. So let's talk about your backstory, specifically talk about where you were born and also what Carnatic music is. Yeah, absolutely. So I was born in Chennai, which is uh, right at the southernmost tip um, of India, and my parents migrated over to Australia when I was about two years old. This was the early 90s. Um, we were probably one of the first waves of Indian immigrants mm. to come over to Australia. So I think throughout my childhood, I it was it was definitely sort of a battle and definitely confusing for, for a young kid to sort of process, you know, why do I look different? Why am I treated different in some ways? Mm. What does this mean? Who am I? What's my identity? But I think something that I could always come home to and find a home in was music. Um, my family is like an incredibly musical family and Carnatic music is, it's an Indian classical music form that originates from South India. It's like literally thousands of years old. Um, and it's mostly sort of devotional music that relates to sort of Hinduism. Um, but what's really interesting about Carnatic music is that it's a completely different um, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like a completely different way of learning music. So I think um, that concept of sort of microtonality is huge in Carnatic music. And there's different ways of sort of how we keep beats and how we how we improvise, um, how we keep within a certain vibe, um, rags and thals. There's it's a whole other world. And I think learning that as a basis when I was just four years old meant that it was really was somewhat easy for me to kind of move from that into other similarly complex musical forms such as jazz and even sort of expand into soul and R&B. And so I think it's not only formed a really interesting foundation for me as a musician, but it formed a foundation for me as like an Indian Australian, like being able to sort of say, you know, I'm still holding on to my roots and music is such a big part of that. Now I'm tempted to ask who exposed you to it or was it just kind of it wasn't really forced upon me, Bruce. It's just so prevalent that you kind of can't get away from it. Yeah, it's absolutely very prevalent, especially among South Indian communities. But my mom actually taught me. I still remember like sitting in our like little apartment in Sydney and she would like, she used to force me 100%. She'd be like, hey, come here and learn music because I told you to. Um, and then I think initially as a kid, you're kind of just like very like, oh, why do I have to do this? But eventually, like within a few years, I realized like there was just something about it. There was something about being able to, you know, even beyond the lessons, being able to come back home from school and just let go of the confusion that I felt when I when I left the house around identity and who I was and just sort of lose that and lose myself in, in this process of singing. Okay, so... You moved to, obviously, your family, but you were two years old when you moved from yeah. India to Australia. So mm -hmm. other than that music that you're talking about, how were you able to maintain your roots from India? Because clearly, as people will see when they look you up more online, you're still very devoted to being from there. So what were you able to do? What did your family do for you in your younger years to maintain your roots, even though you were firmly in Australia? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think a big part of it was that both my parents were incredibly and still are incredibly proud of their Indian backgrounds. So there, there was never a time where where they felt like they needed me to be anyone that I wasn't. If that makes sense, I know that you know there was a lot of examples of people changing their kids' names and like trying to sort of tone down on their background so they wouldn't be treated differently. But my parents were always like, well, here's Indian food. I packed it for you. Enjoy having it at school. <laughs> so <laughs> it was just, I think they were always very like staunchly proud about their heritage and their background. Um, and for me, I think personally as well, the first time I ever went back to India with my parents was when I was eight years old. And since then, I just like completely fell in love with it. And, and uh. yeah, a hundred percent. So it's, it's, it's not, I feel like even if I, if I weren't born there, there's just something that draws me to it from a spiritual perspective, from a musical perspective, from, from just a really deep place. And I can't help but celebrate that. And 
I think that's, I, you see it pretty much in everything that I create is just this really strong, like what I like to refer to like a soul connection to India. Okay. So now that we've just painted this picture, I got to ask, what made you decide to come to the United States then for college? Yeah. Um, I, that is, you're really making me reflect on my life. <laughs> take. <laughs> um, so apart from music, a big part of my life is also working in international development. Um, so again, I think going back to India and like parts of South Asia and being able to see that there were levels of inequality there that I wasn't exposed to because my parents had made the choice to move to Australia. That really struck a chord with me when I was like in my early 20s. So I wanted to figure out a way to work in the social sector, but do it in a way that was basically financially sustainable. So um, I kind of just wanted to have also just a bit of an adventure. Um, Australia mm. is so far from everything else in the world. And I figured, you know what, let's just give it a shot. Let's do Let's do my, I ended up doing my MBA in New York. And it was at this like wonderful university that had like all the programs related to like social enterprise that I was really passionate about. And I was like, you know what, let's just, let's just do it. Um, and it was, uh. it was really interesting. Yeah. When I, when I came to New York, it was like, not only sort of deeply rewarding from that perspective, um, but it was also deeply rewarding in terms of music. Like that's where I really started getting into like the jazz scene especially. And so overall, just a life-changing experience. Yeah, and in the Patreon, we'll get into where you actually attended school in New York. And I'm gonna mention on there some of the roles that you've been in professionally. But just while we're talking about this move to New York and, and what you got exposed to, how were you able to get yourself into the music scene in New York to the point of eventually you you were performing at some different venues there, some of them quite notable. So I guess we should also fill in the gap between when did you really start taking an interest in music from the performance standpoint? And, and then, like I said, also just kind of fill us in on how you immersed yourself into the music scene in New York. Yeah, absolutely. So I basically started doing music publicly in inverted commas only about four years ago wow. which is yeah it's crazy to me because i think for my whole life i'd always seen music as a form of meditation like a super private sacred thing that like was just for me mm. and i didn't need to share it um but i think the reason that i did start sharing it publicly was when like i said i i was working in international development and i'd moved to india and after a really long stint there, I just felt really jaded and really crushed about like, I guess as a millennial kind of walking in and being like, I'm gonna change the world. And then like a year later, sort of realizing perhaps that there are, you know, that it's a little harder than I expected. Um, so I think I was just really jaded. Um, I moved back home to Australia. I was, I was in a really low place. And as always, music kind of came through for me. But for some reason, I just, felt this urge to kind of, you know, let me just chuck a cover up on YouTube and see how it goes. And more than how it performed, I think that process of like recording it and sharing it with the world actually felt really amazing. And so I kind of just went with my gut and sort of said, you know, what, I, I just want to dedicate a bit more time to exploring where this goes. Let's just openly see. And so interestingly, I had never, I did not know what songwriting was four years ago. I mm. literally did not know what it meant. Oh my um, gosh. And yeah, and I was only doing covers. I was mainly doing like Indian covers. I didn't even know what soul music was until oh two years ago. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so it's literally been the most exponential growth journey the last four years, but deeply, deeply rewarding. And I think going to your question about how I was able to sort of, I guess, get a foot in the New York music community well wait a minute a lot of it wait a was minute. i want to interrupt you here because i want to take yeah. my hat off to you for your honesty because listeners you heard some of her music at the beginning i was talking over it but amritha has an amazing amazing voice i i love her sound i love the style that that she's recording in and i mm -hmm. expected you to give me this story about well you know after we moved to australia when i was two in my early years, I was taking singing lessons. And to tell me now that you just started getting into all this four years ago, you could have totally lied to me and I would have believed it because of how talented you are. So this is really quite eye-opening to hear what the story actually is. I needed to say that, but please continue on with the New York journey. 
No, I appreciate it, Bruce. Thank you. Um, with New York, I think I, again, kind of just went with the flow there. So I landed there um, and I was really drawn to how well developed the creative art scene was in New York compared to Sydney. Um, that was the first thing that struck me, like the number of events, the number of networking mm. opportunities, mm. Um, the fact that like there were people in the industry who really backed young talent. I don't think we've got that yet. And we definitely don't have it from the perspective of like South Asian creative arts um, in Australia. And so I was really fascinated by that. And I just basically caught up with about, I remember I had a farewell um, when I left New York last year um, after being there for six weeks. I'd met about 60 to 70 people in the creative arts industry. And I'd literally just caught up with each of them um, over a cup of coffee and just tried to understand like what motivated them, what they were passionate about, what they were doing. And one thing just led to another. And all of all of those catch-ups just led to these like really lucky, I guess, opportunities to perform in these incredible venues. Wow. Um, but I think at the core of that was just like, I genuinely just wanted to, I was just fascinated. I was, I was thrilled at just the extent to which the creative arts industry was at this incredible stage in New York. And I just was hungry to know how it got there, how, what it was like to operate in that, in that sort of environment and to see whether that was something I could bring back home to Australia as well. Um, so I'm confused then. I introduced you at the beginning as being classically trained. So when did you receive that training? From the ages of four through to like, I'm trying to think when my mom gave up on me. I think it was about <laughs> my teens. <laughs> so I think it was like from four to 13-ish. I was like classically trained. And then from there, I just ended up teaching myself. Um, so I used to I used to listen to a lot of Bollywood music and actually only Bollywood music. Mm. But all I would do is like I would hear a song and if it resonated with me, I'd come home and I would try to, oh, what's the word? Imitate, imitate the singer's in that song. And I did that literally, I didn't realize I was doing it, but I did it for about a couple of hours every single day throughout my entire teens. Wow. And so in a way I was like training myself. And then when it came to soul music and jazz, I only really started receiving like proper training in, and I'm gonna say it in, in inverted commas, like Western style vocals, perhaps two years ago. And for like a period of, of, of about a, a year, um, but I think with me, like when I hear any form of music that I resonate with deeply, it just, I obsess with it. I get addicted to it and I absorb it really quickly. Mm. So I think because soul music and jazz and the blues like resonated so deeply with me, it was, it almost felt like intrinsically, like I was able to sort of access that and learn that somewhat quickly. Well, so am I to understand that over the last year or two, you have had a vocal coach or are you still drawing upon that classical training from when you were young? It's definitely a combination of both. I had a vocal coach for about six months. Okay. Um, and then since then it's literally just me sort of exploring how I can uh, like use Carnatic style vocalizations or even just the basis that it gave me and translate that into, into sort of the more modern sort of music that I I'm see. doing these I days. See. Well, so now that we've heard all about your background and listeners, you have a really good foundation now of who Amritha is in terms of her music background, her heritage. And so share with the listeners now about how you're using your music as a platform for messages that are important to you. Yeah, I think I I honestly stumbled into this, but... I realized as I was writing the songs for The Process, which is like my debut EP, I was healing so much just by writing the songs. And when I started asking myself, like, what was I healing from? I was I was basically talking about my journey from, from basically depression through to self-love. And so I was starting, I started thinking about like, why did I learn to unlove myself to begin with? And I think it was so many different things. I think it was being different growing up in Australia. I think it was the unreasonable beauty standards that are put on women and women of color. Um, it was it was the pressure that I was receiving from like my own community around like, why aren't you following the standard route of like nine to five, settle down, have kids, etc. It was, there was so much in that. And it kind of, like I had an aha moment where I realized that like 
there was no way that I was the only girl who was going through that in my early 20s and my late teens. And there mm. had to be more young women and young women of color out there who were dealing with exactly the same pressures, if not even more intensified due to the sort of advent of social media. Sure. And so I figured if I'm, if I'm out here writing music about my healing journey, I might as well use my platform as a, a tool for healing and a tool for kind of opening up I guess the whole Pandora's box around, let's talk about all of these issues openly, especially some of the taboo topics and get a conversation going. And I guess show young girls that they're not the only ones going through this and that there is like a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and I think the moment I started leaning into that, I just felt like such a deep passion for it. Um, and I and I have to say that music kind of helped me like tap into that, I think innate passion that I have for gender equality and like, women's issues and women's rights and that sort of thing and it's just really cool to be able to say like you know like i'm using my pain and i'm transmuting that into something that hopefully is also healing for other women who are going through similar similar situations so i guess there's a question that i should have asked before that which is when and why and how did you start to songwrite in the first place being that we just heard that you don't come from a long life of being in music yeah, honestly, this is this is going to be a really lame answer, but um, <laughs> about about two years into only doing covers, one of my jazz musician friends, his name's Nick, um, he kind of just like asked me that question. He was like, hey, have you ever considered just writing your own music? And my initial response was like, I don't know how to do that. What does that even mean? Yeah. Um, and then the more the more I was asked that question, the more I realized actually throughout my entire like last decade or so I've had voice recordings of like melodies that had just popped into my Whoa. mind that I was, yeah I know and that that just I would just record and I would just like recorded it into Whoa. my phone and I was like I don't know what this is I'm just gonna leave it here wow. but I never yeah I never drew the dots of like oh I can actually take that and create an entire song hmm. um and the moment I realized that I was like all right well let's give it a shot and yeah, it just the rest was history from there. I think ever since then, I've been obsessed with kind of, you know, taking a vibe or taking an emotion or even just taking a melody that sometimes you dream about and then figuring out how to turn it into a song. Mm, I love it. I love it. I'm joined today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from Melbourne, Australia, by singer-songwriter Amritha Shakti. Visit her official website at amrithashakti.com. And while you can look at the title of this episode on your listening device to get the proper spelling of her name so as to visit her website, I will have a link to it on the show page for this episode at nhte.net. Once you're on her website, look for icons to engage with Amritha on social media, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. Her music is even on SoundCloud, which of course is one of the many platforms that this show is available on. You can follow Amrita on Spotify, but support her by purchasing downloads of her music from iTunes. I mentioned earlier about the Patreon for this show. Check out the bonus audio, which is ad-free, by the way, by going to the show website, nhte.net, and hit the orange-colored Support Us on Patreon button. It's only five bucks a month. Hear more from Amrita Shakti and bonus content for the previous 38 episodes of this show. It's been a little bit since I mentioned the ability for you to also support Now Hear This Entertainment by way of your regular everyday purchases on Amazon. As a result, since it has been quite a while, yikes, I saw quite a drop-off when I got the latest monthly email that they send me. Remember, this is no extra cost to you. So if Patreon, you say five bucks a month doesn't sound like a lot, Bruce, but it is and I just can't afford it, this is no extra cost to you. Go to the show website, nhte.net, scroll down to the tall Amazon banner, and then once you click that, it will open their shopping app if you're on your phone, or it'll open their website if you're on your computer. Either way, at the end of the transaction, they will kick back a small percentage of the sale to me, which helps with the expenses that I have for putting out a new episode of this show every week. And remember, it's totally private. All Amazon tells me once a month is how much they're kicking back to me. That's it. I don't know who bought through them or what you purchased so anyhow thanks for your support of the show through the exclusive ad-free bonus audio on patreon or by starting your online shopping through my amazon banner amritha before all that 
you were talking about some of the key messages behind your original music. So tell the audience yeah. about your EP called The Process. Yeah. Um, so The Process has five songs on it, and it is essentially, I call it an ode to my 20s. Um, so like I said, I think my 20s were a period of time where I was just I could hear everyone else's expectations in my mind as to how how they wanted me to live my life. Mm. And mm. I also was deeply aware of like my own voice, which was kind of different. It was sort of like, we should adventure. We should we should work on gender rights. We should do this and that. And I was, I think, in that entire decade, just trying to figure out how to reconcile what I wanted versus what my family wanted from me, what my community wanted from me, what society expected of me. And essentially... The entire EP, I um, a lot of the sort of pressure that I think I felt in my 20s was related to marriage pressure, which I think we talked about briefly relating to because they told me to. Yeah. Um, but what I've done is I've taken an example of a relationship that I felt pressured to be in um, as a metaphor for the entire album. Mm. And I'm each song is like a, an emotional stage or an emotional sort of mindset that I was in starting from being in that relationship and feeling very unfulfilled and confused and knowing that this wasn't quite the right thing right through to the process of like coming out of that healing from that and finding my own voice um, through spirituality and through a sense of self. So each song basically represents an emotional state. Um, and it's essentially, I wrote it to heal and honor my twenties. I think it was, it was a crazy time, but it was also a time that helped me clarify who I was and what I, who I wanted to be. And um, a big part of this is I wanted people to go along that emotional journey with me. And I called it the process really wisely, I think, because it took literally two and a half years for me to finish and feel happy enough with it to share with the uh, world. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was I was wondering about the title. And, you know, I learned very, very, very early on doing this show. I'm not going to say which episode it was. I basically got scolded on the air. But you know, the old, you're not supposed to ask a woman her age, but you have mentioned a few <laughs> times during this interview, looking back on your 20s. And again, I mentioned yeah. before, hats off to you for your honesty for saying, like, I just started into this four years ago, and you're being honest about your age. And listeners, when you see the pictures, I mean, Amritha is a beautiful girl, and you look a lot younger than you're implying that you are. So again, there's a lot of revelations going on here that are proving some yeah. some truths that I otherwise would have thought differently of. But while we're talking about the EP, clarify this for me now, because this morning when I looked on iTunes, it looks like you put out 10 singles this year. Yeah, so about uh, six of them are covers of some of my favorite songs. Oh. Um, and yeah, and four of them are uh, the actual originals from from the EP. And so there's one more coming up in the next few weeks. And then that's it. That's the EP out in the world. So what you're saying is the five song EP is really just five different singles that you will have released throughout 2020. There's not going to be a formal, here you go, here's the release of my five song EP. It's no, four of them are already out there, Bruce, and the other one is coming. And once that fifth and final single is out, I have, in a sense, released my EP. Yeah, you got it. And and the reason I did that was because I wanted to take people on the exact same journey that I went through emotionally. So, and it, and it, it honestly feels like that because I shared because they told me to and so many people resonated with that feeling of just feeling trapped and confused. And then the next song came out and, and they kind of went through that phase of like anger. So it's really interesting. It's like, I'm, it's kind of like I'm reliving the whole thing, but publicly with other people. Um, and, I, and I did that very intentionally for that reason. So I guess I should have dug deeper into your YouTube channel than I feel I did. But what's the strategy with videos since these are all singles? Because to me, that means there's opportunities to do multiple music videos instead of just the one that we talked about. Yeah, absolutely. Every single song on the EP has a music video wow. of its own. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So the song that is yet to be released, it's finished, it's produced, it's ready to go. You're just being particular about when it gets released. Is there a video that's in the can for that one also? Yeah, all the, all the videos are ready to go. Um, this last song, the video for that is, 
I imagined it a certain way and it literally looks the way that I imagined it. Mm. Um, and it's sort of the big finale. So I'm, I'm holding off and trying to sort of find the right time to put it out. But yeah, every single song on the, uh, on the EP has its own video, its own vibe. Um, again, to just sort of pull the audience in and make them sort of go through the same sort of emotional journey that I went through. Okay, so it sounds like you're saying there's no decided release date yet. So listeners, as you know, I always encourage you, that's a great reason to follow the guest online. And so in this case, you'll want to stick with Amrita on her social media to see when she announces that that song and that video will come out. For those that are listening, Amrita, who are aspiring performers themselves, talk about how you were able to get on BBC Radio, as I had alluded to back in the intro. Gosh, um, it was honestly... A bit of a, a bit of a surprise. I think, um, firstly, I think building your network, but not seeing it as networking. I think, in fact, the word networking bothers me so much. I, I like to think of it as like if you genuinely take an interest in people and creatives in this industry, and with, with no intention of sort of asking for anything in return, eventually some those sparks kind of add up and and it manifests as something and so i think i'd reached out to ashanti omkar who runs the um bbc radio for asian artists um in the uk Mm. i think i'd reached out to her on something completely unrelated a few years ago um and it just so happened that she became aware of the fact that i was dropping an ep and she reached out to me and she was like, hey, I'd love to play because they told me to on the BBC radio. And I was like, oh, my mm. gosh, that's insane. <laughs> um, and so it was I think it was just literally just that just approaching. That's probably the one tip that I would say. I think you kind of come into this industry and people try to, like, give you so much advice that's so corporate and it's so stuffy and it's so counterintuitive to, like, how we operate as uh, as creatives. And as, as opposed to that, if you kind of come into it with a sense of joy and excitement and just like, I'm so excited to learn about this person and meet this person, I have like no sort of expectations, then what comes out of that is just so unexpected sometimes. And yeah, I think that that would be sort of like my one tidbit. Yeah. And here's the picture that I got in my head as you were just describing all of that. In terms of music and its universality, I was looking on Amritha's Instagram and I was Hopefully, listeners, if you've been with me for a while, you understand the depths of the research that I get into to properly prepare for these interviews. I love it. And so I was digging deep into the highlights, as they call them, the archives of the stories on Amritha's profile and Instagram. And yes, there were some posts on there where you could see a really nice studio that she was going to, but there was also a lot of stuff that was just sitting around with a guitar, nothing fancy, and I looked at it, and literally in that moment, I realized, look at how universal music is. There's a guy with a guitar, just as I could sit here with my guitar in Florida, or someone can sit with their guitar in California, or someone could sit with their guitar in India, or in Canada, or the UK, or wherever, and we're all playing that thing, and we're all trying to create music, and so isn't it beautiful, like you said, Amritha, that just connecting with someone in a very genuine way that's not stuffy, that's not corporate, that's not what could you do for me, and look at the way it paid off for you. So forgive me for such a long diatribe there, but I just felt that in my heart to to share that. No, that's beautiful, and I completely resonate with that. So for the American audience especially, what did the pandemic look like for you, meaning what impact did it have on your music career? Because here it was a year that you're releasing all these singles, and oh, by the way, don't go anywhere. Yeah. I mean, I guess it meant that I couldn't do the sort of standard release strategy of like, here's my single, like my opening night for my single, and like, come watch me play. Um, I basically haven't performed in person for about, I'd say about a year, Mm. if I'm not wrong. Um, which I don't know. I think I was I was quick to sort of realize that that would be the case and kind of figure out what what I'd do in the meantime, stuck at home. Um, I think the other side of it is that I'm not able to go to like studios. We're sort of like in lockdown here in Melbourne at the moment. So um, how that's looked like for me is just creating a lot of music. Like now is the time to sort of like bunker down, find beats and vibes that you're kind of really feeling, and I guess write new music and just when the time is right and we're able to get out and record and I guess catch up with other musicians again there's there's going to be time when like all that music gets 
out into the world. But right now, I think it's just I'm I'm seeing this as like a almost like an incubation period. You know what? Just like sit home and like create new music, and let's just see when things get better and when we're able to get things out again. Um, but I think because because I do sort of have that sort of dual identity, like I I have a corporate career and I'm a singer songwriter. I don't think the pandemic impacted me financially as much as I know it has with other sort of full-time musician friends. Um, so I think it's definitely been difficult on this side of the world as well. Okay, but let's clarify, because I've mentioned a couple times that you're in Melbourne, but it sounds like home actually is Sydney, though, yes? That's right, yeah. Um, I struggle to like identify what home is, but yes, technically speaking, grew up in Sydney, so I guess Sydney is home. But during the pandemic, I'm trying to understand when these songs of yours that make up the EP, since you've been releasing them sporadically throughout 2020, when were they recorded? And then the reason I asked about Melbourne versus Sydney is I was going to ask you where they were recorded. But were these already done before the pandemic even hit? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I recorded these probably around 29, like early 2019, late 2018. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And it's, I just, like I said, I just felt like it wasn't time yet. I wanted to make some tweaks. I wanted it to be perfect. And finally, like as the pandemic hit, I was like, amazing, let's release it. Um, (laughs) Great timing, Amrita. Hey, you know, everything is fair game in 2020. So the question yeah. isn't the question isn't why would you release it during a pandemic? It's why not? <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Um, it's definitely given me a lot of time to really think about the release strategy, though, because you're just at home and you're like, well, what else am I going to do? Yeah, so. yeah. Well, listeners, I have never been to Australia, parentheses, yet. It breaks my heart because it's a country that's definitely on my list of places that I'd love to get to someday. I've been to 18 countries around the world, and that is not one of them. I have been to Las Vegas several times, and I hope to go back there in the next, oh, let's see, probably nine months. And so you know I'm going to be reading the Access Vegas newsletter between now and then, because even though it might be nine months from now that I go, there's always so much going on out there, always so much that you want to keep up on and all the new things they're doing, all the changes that they're making. And yes, certainly if you're going there real soon during the pandemic, you want to know what to expect that way. But Access Vegas is put out by people there in Las Vegas, and they've been publishing this thing for years and years. It comes into your email inbox. They don't do paper, so you don't have to say, I don't want to get it in the mail or it's going to get in recycling or tossed out. Get it in your email inbox and read about deals, about discounts, read about things that you're not going to get anywhere else, tips that will help you maximize your time and get the most out of your visit to Las Vegas. On my show website, nhte.net, you will see a logo for Access Vegas. Click on that, go to their website, put in the code BRUCE during sign up to get $5 off. And you'll also get special reports that I've talked about on past episodes of Now Hear This Entertainment. And you'll get access to their private Facebook group, which posts go up in that regularly. I see a lot from that as well as from the newsletter as well. Again, go to the Access Vegas logo on nhte.net. Click on that and go over and sign up and put in the code BRUCE during sign up to get $5 off. So, Amritha, we know that you have one more song coming to round out the EP and a video for it, but what's next for you? What are your future plans? Um, I'm actually really excited to explore sort of like my bicultural identity, but a bit more like explore it in the form of music. So um, I kind of grew up speaking Tamil at home, which is a South Indian language. And I think I'm really excited to sort of see, is there a way to bring R&B and soul to like the Tamil diaspora community? Um, Or is there a way to even sort of build a song where it's sort of a combination of English and Tamil, but it's got mainstream appeal in Australia. And I think, that would just be so cool. Like you're just sort of driving down the highway one day and you like hear Thummel on your radio. I think that's the sort of thing that's going to help us sort of form a, a much more like diverse identity as Australians going forward. Um, and I, I would really love to sort of use music to kind of push that forward, if that makes sense. Okay, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here. Sure. Is it possible for you to imitate for us right now what exactly that is so we have some idea of what it sounds like or what you're talking about? Because right now, it just sounds like hieroglyphics. (laughs) Yeah, so like, it's sort of, this is a song, this is like completely not released. I'm just sort of um, 
right I came to my mind a couple of days ago but it's sort of like R&B but in Tamil so um should I sing it Bruce? go for that... it yeah go for it <laughs> just a little bit we don't we don't need a three minute performance but just just yeah. to give people an idea So why that's interesting is that that sort of vibe of like R&B and kind of that solely vibe, mm -hmm. it hasn't sort of made it mainstream in India yet. And I think that's, ah. it's, yeah, like I think it'd be super cool to kind of explore that space. And then I think sort of bring in some of that like English lyrics as well and see whether there's a space for like bilingual music in Australia as well. Wow. Um, so that's like a little experimental plan for the future. So you have an opportunity to be an innovator perhaps. Potentially. It could either go incredibly well or just not at all. So <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Well, I'm I'm sure I'm I'm going to be optimistic. I'm going to put my support behind you and say I'm sure I'm sure it'll go well. But uh, listeners, as I always say, yet another reason to to follow her online to to see how she does with that pursuit. We're going to close today with another one of Amritha's original songs, one called Ghost Town. Before we go, record extra audio, which will be available through Patreon. Tell the audience all about this song, please. Yeah, so Ghost Town is number two on my WEP in terms of order. Um, so it comes right after because they told me to, and it embodies the state of anger, <clears throat> but sort of like righteous anger, the sort of anger where you're like, you know what, I deserve better. I'm gonna, I'm gonna channel this anger into something productive, and I'm gonna feel a sense of self worth and empowerment, especially as a woman. Um, and so it, I think just being like. Uh, being able to like sing this kind of bluesy, feisty song, um, especially as an Indian Australian, it was just, it was really cool. It was really liberating. Um, and it's always one of my favorite songs to sing as well. Outstanding. Outstanding. Amrita, this has been so much fun. I'm so glad that we were able to do this, folks. It's just now striking nine o'clock in Tampa, Florida, which means that it's just now hitting, I believe, 11 a.m., for you the next yeah. day, Amritha. So I'm really glad that we were able to make these arrangements and get you on the show. Thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. This was incredible. My pleasure. Listeners, that will do it for another episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. My sincere thanks to singer-songwriter Amritha Shakti. Visit her official website at amrithashakti.com. Again, I will have a link to it on the show page for this episode at nhte.net. Once you land there, do be sure to engage with Amritha on social media. This morning, I liked her Facebook page and I followed her on Twitter and Instagram. And so I'm urging you to please do the same. Join the almost 1,600 subscribers on her YouTube channel as well. And then watch and like the videos on there. For that matter, tell her you heard her and her music on Now Hear This Entertainment. Remember that you can find her music on SoundCloud and on Spotify, which are two of the many platforms where you can hear this podcast. But support Amritha by purchasing downloads of her music from iTunes. Again, Amritha and I will have more conversation over in the bonus content that's only available exclusively through Patreon. There's already similar audio up there from the last eight plus months worth of guests. It's only five bucks and it's ad free and that's the only place you can get it. Go to the show website, nhte.net, hit the orange colored support us on Patreon button and that will take you to where you can gain access to the exclusive content. Remember also about scrolling down on nhte.net to the tall Amazon banner to start all of your shopping through them that way so that they can kick back a small percentage of the sale to help me with all the expenses I have for doing this show every week for what has been more than six and a half years now. There is no extra cost to you for doing that. For now, that will do it for episode 345. Thanks ever so much for listening. We'll send you out today with another song from Amritha Shakti. This is the one she just talked about called Ghost Town. I feel Black smoke pouring down my lungs. I'm searching for freedom, but I'm drowning in the shadows.
broke 